Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 10. Yes, nigga, that's two digits of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. LeBron's hairline. And I'm joined here by one of my best friends, Demarcus, a.k.a. Nigga Marcus, a.k.a. Nigga Damas. How you feeling today? I'm glad you finally put some respect on my name. I had you last week and You was hot last week. All but one game. You was hot last and you, week. And you were like, you're going to take a L. You're going to take a L. Guess what? You I'm took eating, some I'm L's last W's. Week. I'm out here eating W's. <laughs> Javis eating the W was hilarious. Now, you was hot last week, nigga. I'm going to give you some credit where credit is due. But remember, last week, you guaranteed the NBA season would not start on December 22nd. I know that. Guaranteed, guaranteed it. it. You That's guaranteed a little strong. it. Uh, I don't remember it that way. Uh, I Maybe our listeners don't. will have to go back and let me know yeah. if I said that. And I told you the billion dollar difference, but we good. We good. Now, what I'm going to give you a lot of credit on, you were pretty early to the Matt Nagy hate. Oh, yeah. I told you. Not offensive genius. You were pretty early to the Matt Nagy hate. Honestly, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, do the Bears have to do something with Matt Nagy? And Ryan Pace by proxy. Look, the Bears are in a really tough position right now as far as where their franchise is it with assets and coaching. Because you spent a number two draft pick, I believe, on Trubisky. Was that right? Number two? Indeed. We moved up to two to take right. him. And now he's worthless. You have benched a number two pick after a little over two years in the league. Something like that. He was. Oh, I mean, they should have never taken him when we benched him functionally three and oh, because we won that Atlanta game. But it was clear Nagy was just waiting for the first excuse. He 100 percent wanted to sit him and. There were some fair criticisms about him never using Trubisky for the athlete that he was and trying to make Trubisky be a pocket passer and not the mobile quarterback that can use his legs. And since he never wanted to change his offensive scheme, he really rushed to Nick Foles. But now you don't have an O-line that can protect him. The statue quarterback. To execute that scheme. Mm -hmm. At what point are we just like, you had possibly a talented player, but refused to adjust to that player, and that should cost you it? Uh, Possibly talented, I would say. Questionably. We've seen the flashes of talent. We've also seen the big lows. We're going to see. We got a lot of great content coming up about possible talent, staying and leaving different locations. We have an exciting show for you all today. We have a tee-off featuring Milwaukee Bucks guard Sterling Brown and his triumph with Justice. The fly route for Miami Heat and their upcoming Bam out of the bio contract decision. Another iterations of our COVID and concussion segment. We're going to talk the NBA draft. Who are the top picks? What picks might be traded? And 
We're going to get into our best wide receivers in the league. Welcome to the Tea Off. This is how we like to start our show. We like to spill some tea on some of the crazy things that our favorite athletes get into. Unfortunately, though, this week is a little different. Usually, we focus on the crazy situations athletes get themselves into through fault of their own. But this week is a crazy situation that was not this athlete's fault at all in any way we're going to talk about sterling brown guard for the milwaukee bucks was drafted in 2017 was a second round pick and this story is really important especially given the time in america this is such an important time and this story was seemingly forgotten but is now back the best thing about this story coming back is it really highlighted something for me for one of my favorite players, you know, Jimmy Buckets. You remember when he wanted to have the nameless jersey? Correct. Because he was just another random black guy when confronted with the police? Absolutely. This Sterling Brown story is a great shining example of that. Sterling Brown, multimillionaire, makes millions of dollars a day still became a victim of police brutality. For those of you who aren't familiar with the initial situation and how it happened, back in 2018, Sterling Brown was parked illegally at like a drugstore, you know, like a CVS, Walgreens, some random shit like that, right? And to be fair, let's start. He parked illegally across two handicapped spots. Oh, I think I know someone who's done that before. Yeah. Probably me, nigga, right? And he was like, there was no one out. It was the middle of the night. I didn't think it was a big deal. And he's coming back out to his car, leaving the drugstore. A police officer is approaching his car. There's body cam footage. And I actually had to go back and re-watch this body cam footage. And it's something I really fucking hate doing. These oh, I hate watching that. Terrible. I can't watch any of the, the shootings, the protests, the body cam footage. The little bits that I see are usually by accident on social media. I just felt like because this was an incident I wanted to talk about and bring light to because of how important it is. The wake of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. We saw all the fucking hype. Now motherfuckers is getting silent. I don't like it. They have gotten silent and people were talking about this before it was mainstream. Sure. Sometimes not in the right way. I remember I saw the Philando Castile video on Facebook, no warning, didn't know what I was watching, and then bam. Right. And it's it's just not good for, as a black man, me mentally, to watch that without warning. If I want to watch that, I seek it out, need to see it, sure. But if it's just random video on my Facebook that autoplays, we got it's a problem. Tough. It's tough. But- We can't avoid it because it's the reality that we live in. And that's the most important part here. So let's get back into the story, right? He's walking out, police officer approaching his car. The police officer asks for his license. He walks up to his car, tries to open his door. 
and the police officer immediately tells him to back up and shoves him. Off rip, Brown's like, all right, bro, stop touching me. Which is a reasonable thing to say. Like, nigga, I parked in the handicapped spot. Sure, I parked in two of them, nigga. Give me both tickets and get on your fucking way. But but you know the car was nice. The car was nice. It's late at night. Milwaukee's got some racial problems. Tell the story. He's saying, don't touch him, right? Officer immediately calls for backup. Three more cars show up on the scene. You can see on the body cam footage, the officer immediately starts telling other officers, Brown's all up in his face. Brown's being aggressive for asking him not to put his hands on him for what should be a fucking parking ticket. Well, yeah, because you asking for your respect is aggressive. What are you talking about? At this point, he's surrounded a ton of officers. The tensions are high. He has his hands in his pocket. He's standing there, open body, hands in his pocket, not doing anything crazy. They tell him to take his hands out of his pocket. He immediately goes, I have things in my hands. That's why my hands are in my pocket. They tackle him, rush him down to the ground. While he's on the ground, then they tase him. You can see on the body cam footage, someone's kneeling on his neck. Someone has their foot stepping on his ankle. There are multiple niggas all over him. He is not been aggressive. He's standing there. They tackle him standing there with his hands in his pocket. Now, it's not shocking. It's not new, unfortunately. I wish it was, but it's not. But the question is, if he had not been a famous black man and there had not been body cam footage, would we still be talking about this? Honestly, if he was not famous, this probably would have died out. Because if he was not famous, the latter part of this story we'll get into in which he won his settlement, where he sued. Since he left without grave bodily injury, if you remember Thefo Sebalosha mm-hmm. at the Atlanta club, mm-hmm. they broke his fucking leg, mm-hmm. right? Because there was a stabbing at the club, but he wasn't even a part of the stabbing. Showed up, fit the description. They broke his fucking leg on sight, right? So in this situation, thank God, bumps and bruises, he ends up being okay, No one would have talked about this. It would have flew 100% under the radar. By the time they find out that he's a Bucks player, now they're talking shit to him about it because he's a Bucks player. They talk about how they're going to get backlash because he's famous. One of them starts bragging about how he's going to have so much overtime because of all the paperwork he's going to have to fill out because this nigga's famous. Yeah, that that is... An example of the flawed policing system in our country, that that is the mentality that officers would take in a situation like this, not apologizing, not trying to de-escalate the situation, but being aggressive and then happy that they were caught being aggressive so they can get more overtime for paperwork. A hundred percent. And it's sad because... At first, the Milwaukee Police Association tried to defend the actions and said, and I quote, the use of force was a necessary component of policing. Well, they think force is policing. That's what they're really saying. And the craziest part is they book him. They take him to the police station. He's in jail for a couple hours. 
right? And this is the part where I have to tee off. Usually I'm spilling tea, but now I'm taking off on niggas because somehow throughout all of this, you've tackled this man, you've tased this man, you've arrested this man, you've held this man, and at no point in time was he ever read his Miranda rights. What the fuck do they train these niggas for? Well, they don't. You have to go to school more time to be a barber than to be a police officer. Nigga, this is ridiculous. And this is something that was literally just supposed to be a heavy fucking civil fine. Cop shows up. It's like, bro, you dead ass in two handicap spots. Couple thousand dollars, maybe some probation or something for your parking violations. You know, don't fuck up again. We're taking a license. But requires none of this shit. Not physical altercation, jail time, etc. And this is real sad and disappointing because by the time the Milwaukee Police Association backed out of their original stance because the video was getting hot and getting some play, the officers were only suspended without pay for 10 days and 15 days respectively for, and I quote, failing to be a role model for professional police service. And you wonder how niggas like Derek Chauvin with the paper trail of shit like this end up getting far enough to the point where they can literally murder a man on camera with no remorse or even feeling like they are valuable. Listen, there, you know, people have a problem with the protests, the criticisms of modern policing. And they're like, oh, people who say all cops are bastards, they're wrong, there's a few bad apples, yada, yada, yada. No, 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 no. There are some bad apples, but the rest are just as bad for sitting around and watching these kind of things happen over and over and over again. And the police associations are the orchestrators of a lot of this because they will defend officers no matter what they have done. When just... In Dallas, where both of us live, where Botham Jean was sitting in his apartment, watching football, eating ice cream, got killed by this officer. The police association still had this police officer's back. That could have been us. It literally, Any of these stories could have been us. Literally. And it's crazy because this story is coming back now in 2020 because it took two years plus, but... Sterling Brown has finally gotten justice. And that's the crazy part because most of us would not have had the resources or time available to us in this situation to acquire that justice. He's reached a $750,000 settlement with the city of Milwaukee. And the most important part was an omission of guilt. That well, that's so real justice. For, yes. for, for me and you, that is, that is the real part of justice. Admit that you were wrong. The money for most people would be a lot. That would be probably life-changing for most people. But for him, that's not much. But the thing that matters the most for your, your psyche is that admission of guilt. And you're right. Most people would not have had the time, money, or emotional energy to deal with this for two, three years. Listen, me and you are relatively well off. 
for young black men. We both know lots of lawyers, could hire them, have full-time jobs, etc. And I question if I would have went through that long of a process. Yeah, it's crazy because at first, six plus months to a year ago, he was offered a $400,000 settlement in 2019 with no admission of guilt. And he turned it down. Yeah, most people don't turn that down. Most people say yes. They want to just get it over with. They just want to get past all the trauma. $400,000 is more than enough to change most people's lives. Facts. I mean, even if you somewhat middle class and you're making 50, 60 a year, that takes you a lot of years to make $400,000. A hundred percent. And it was huge. And he speaks about his platform as an NBA player and why he felt it was extremely important to get that admission of guilt. And it was the most important thing. And it wasn't the money. And the thing that this story coming back into the news did for me is kind of connect some dots on why Milwaukee was the team to sit out a game first. Well, team to sit out a game, wanted to, you know, the boycott was breaking news when it happened. It rippled throughout not just the NBA, but the entirety of sports. We saw all kinds of athletes either also sitting out and, for example, the MLB canceled some games. The NBA end up canceling that set of play or postponing that set of playoff games while they worked out the protest with the players, et cetera. And, and that, that was led a by lot. the Bucks. Yeah. The Bucks were the first team told nobody else. Like, who were they playing? The Magic? The Magic. It was a like game five or six. It and was the Magic a series clinching game. We're out on the court and didn't know what the fuck was going on. Famously so warming think, up, shooting yeah. their free throws, and they were like, oh, there's no game. Oh, no one told us. It put a lot into connection for me. And it was really important because he recently in 2020 wrote an article for the Players Tribune, which, by the way, I love the Players Tribune, talking about how his case and in the light of George Floyd, right? And how he felt what he was doing was extremely important because. This happens to so many unnamed black people. So many. Without the platform, the focus, and the ability to draw attention and actually receive justice. Well, more importantly, when it happens to so many black people, many of them don't live to seek justice. They are killed. They're murdered by the the police. And... It is imperative for all of us when necessary to use our platforms to help educate the rest of the world about what's going on. Two things on this. Number one, we're not going to get past this problem of racism and police brutality until it is seen as a white issue and not a black issue. The, the second thing that I think is also important is that a lot of people still don't believe this happens. And so that's why we have to keep telling these stories, saying their names, et cetera. Because we all have a friend who you could tell a story to, and we've all had this as probably as black people. You experience something. Your gut tells you there's something off about it. It seemed a little racist, seemed a little jarring to you. But Man, fuck all that off-brand shit. But I once of- got pulled over twice Driving three minutes and back to a McDonald's. 
I, I believe you. What I'm saying is if you tell some of your white friends that that happened to you and you say it's because the cops were racist, some of your friends still won't believe you in 2020. Not mine. Well, we would hope. I, nigga, I can guarantee that's not a friend I would have for long. Oh, when no. When I got obviously. pulled over like that, I was actually with a white boy. He was standing face to face talking with a cop. They had me on the sidewalk, hands behind my back with three niggas surrounding me. Shit was wild. But I want to be very clear here. Sterling Brown's fight is not done. This deal was recommended by the city attorney, but has yet to be accepted by the city full out. And it's very important because one more detail he got in this deal was that the Milwaukee Police Department would have to start implementing changes to their standard operating procedure to reduce force within the next 180 days. That's huge. That's probably the biggest part of this. And the police association, the police um, themselves, they're going to fight this every bit of the way. I can tell you. And that's the part. Because once the headline drops, the news coverage falls off. And then these things don't actually happen. Just like the bill that the players in Milwaukee were pushing for to get passed. Mm -hmm. That never actually got passed after they brought it up. Right. Don't fucking let up. I'm so serious. Keep pushing. It's important. Arrest the fucking murderers of Breonna Taylor. This shit's not done yet. Let's get into the fly route for this week. The Miami Heat. What's the fly route to get their next chip? This year is going to be real important. They have a lot of free agents to sign back. Bam is eligible for his contract extension. Do you bring them all back this year? Or do you play for the future? Listen, a lot of teams have chosen to bet on the future. The New York Knicks. And it has not always worked out. When I when I hear your question, I hear the old song. Who who is it? You know, bring him back, bring him back. Something like that. You gotta bring him back. So they should go ahead. They got Gorgon Drogic. They've got Jay Crowder. They've got Miles Leonard, all free agents. And then they have Kelly Olenek, who has a player option and they can opt out. Short story is they know they're a championship contender now in the Eastern Conference. The East at the very top is likely not to get a whole lot better or different except for the Nets. That's the big, big kind of elephant in the room in the East. Philly's always live. So are the Seas. Philly, uh, I'm not quite sold that the players on their roster work together to be a championship team. Either X's or o, X's and O's or just like personalities. I'm not sure they mesh. The Raptors are the Raptors. Solid team, aging star, have some young talent, but probably not ready to contend right now, or at least not this upcoming season. You have the Bucks, who have a similar kind of question with Giannis. The only thing with them is it's if Giannis wants to sign the contract now, not if they should offer it to him now, because they definitely want to give it to him now. And then you have the Nets, who have Kyrie and KD coming back off of injury, and everyone thinks they're going to be a championship team, 
And on paper, it looks about right. The coaching staff is coming together. They're both phenomenal talents, etc. But you don't know. So you have maybe two, two and a half teams that you think are at that level in the East outside of the Heat. But if you're the Heat, you got to be like, our window is open right now. We were just in the finals. It was a somewhat competitive series, and we had two of these players were thinking about re-signing, hurt, and or miss at least a game. So you're like, windows open now, you got to go for it. You go ahead and bring back your free agents. The problem, of course, is if you sign Drogic, Crowder, Leonard, and go ahead and give Bam his max deal, you cannot have the cap space next offseason to sign Giannis outright as a free agent. You'd have to do some kind of sign and trade deal, etc. Or any max player. Or any max player. Yeah, they have to leave essentially they can't sign any of these free agents to more than a one year deal that they can't get out of and they can't offer Bam his deal until free agency starts so the money doesn't hit the books until um the actual upcoming season where they'll be allowed to go over the cap for Bam. So I say to keep him. They don't go after Giannis. And they leave a little bit of money left to bring in one or two other role players that can help fill out their depth in case they do see more injuries in the next round of the playoffs in 2021. That's what I'm that's where I'm at. I think that is the thing that gets them the highest percentage chance to win a championship. In the next two to three years. Now, will they do it? That's a whole other question. I'm not sure about that. But I think the fly route is you keep this team together. You add one or two role players who are possibly younger. And you go for it right now. Nah. No, that's not where it's at. Look, the fly route for the Heat is to take it slow. There is no logical reason for the Heat to pay Bam early, right? The cat hip difference is almost $12 million, right? It prevents them from going big game hunting in 2021, period. Even if they don't make the moves with Crowder and with Goran Dragic, etc., that max deal coming this year prevents them from going big game hunting in 2021. And there's nothing that's worth that for this team right now. When there's nothing to lose. If they don't extend Bam this year, he is a restricted free agent the following year. Which means you literally cannot lose him because you can just match any deal that he gets. But since you're already willing to give him the max, no one can pay him more than you. Period. You're right. You already want to give him the max. Here's the deal. You know where I'm going with this. Kawhi Leonard. He had a very similar situation in San Antonio. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me get this out. Had a very similar situation. Was having a phenomenal couple of years as a player, trending in the right direction as a star. Was eligible for a max contract. As we know, there was an ankle injury in the conference finals. He did not get that contract offer. And then kind of relationship went to hell. That's a terrible example. It This is more akin to Steph Curry than it is to Kawhi. Oh, I don't think so. Yes, it is. Because Kawhi's situation was things soured when he got hurt and he felt like his team 
was not taking his injury seriously. We already talked about all the media things that his teammates were playing, saying the Tony Parker thing about how his injury was way worse and he came back sooner. The team soured around Kawhi Leonard because of the injury things, not because of the contract. It's more akin to Steph Curry in which he didn't get the ascension at first, but he did get a deal later on. Now, the most important thing is soft cap rules, which means they can communicate. Look, you're going to get your money. We just need to pay somebody else first because of the way the soft cap works and the fact that we'll be able to go over it if we pay you second. You getting your money, you're just not getting it this year. So that's that's the thing. So I think Steph is a poor example. Because, well, number one, his teammates and the front office believed his injuries. He had seen doctors and he was not ever going to get a max from them, even if he had not gotten injured based on the numbers. Now, did he get better after he came back and obviously looks like a slam dunk MVP Hall of Famer? Yes. But at the time, no one knew that. I would say right now, people are more high on BAM than people were at Steph while he was going through those injuries. I think Kawhi is the better example because the question is, does the team sour on him that same way if there's already that sunken cost? If he's got his five-year max deal, whatever. Yes, because they ended up trading him. They did trade him, but partially because he was also unhappy. He demanded it. That's what I'm saying. I think, I think the team souring on him was totally a part of it. But I think really part of that happened after he was not offered the contract. Well, the the, the big thing here is this. There was no souring until he got hurt. The big thing here is this. No, the big thing is here is literally there was no conversation about this happening, any souring, anything about Kawhi leaving. The souring happened during that last season that he was under contract. Because, because of the injury. Because the injury, but they could have offered him the max the summer before that, after he hurt his ankle in the conference finals. Listen, you're getting caught up in the example. My big point is... Because your example is terrible, I nigga. got something else important I'm for you then. If you let me get it out, are you going to let me bad. get this out? Go ahead. Something could go wrong and affect these contract negotiations, and you don't want to lose Bam. Now, two points. You can't lose him unless he You're going to let me get trade. my arguments out? No, because you talk the majority of the time for this segment. And I'm trying to counter your argument that you just said. If you let me talk. No, you nigga, shut the fuck up. I let you get your whole argument out before I tried to get my argument out. You at no point in time have allowed me to get my entire argument out. You've cut off in multiple areas. Go. Thank you. You cannot go big game hunting. In 2021, if you sign him, which is where I was at, before you interrupted, nigga, that means you have to miss out on possibilities of signing Giannis, Oladipo, Drew Holiday. Kyle Lowry comes up, so does DeMar DeRozan, so does Gordon Hayward. If the Clippers implode again, Kawhi and Paul George could also come up. It's about opportunity cost, right? And if you want to tell me Bam is a better player than the majority of that list, the opportunity cost does not fit the model. 
What I am saying is the only way to lose Bam is he forces his way out. That's not really likely because A, something unexpected in a terrible way would have to happen based off the things that are going on with the Heat organization now. Your scenario also requires you to re-sign players like Goran Dragic, who is in his high 30s and was not able to be on the stage at the most important time for you. The regular season that you all took off on, he was a bench player. That is not worth the risk of not getting any of those players in that class. Kelly Olenek, if you sign into a multi-year deal, will not interfere with the ability to sign a big person. And Drake Crowder, depending on how his money goes, also will not. And I don't think Drake Crowder can demand a large amount of money. He's been on like three teams in the past three years. That nigga's been a perennial trade piece at the deadline. So for me, locking yourself out of 2021 with no real probability of risk now does not make sense now you can go okay few things yes i'm going to tell you that bam is better than most of those players you're named the only players on that list who i think are worth signing are Giannis and oladipo the rest of those Drew players Holiday? he okay he's not worth losing bam over you not gonna, lo- let, let, not let, gonna let lose let me get him. it out but let continue. me get it out i don't want demar Derozan. i don't want no old ass cal lowry I don't want any of those other players that you named. You say there's nothing that can happen crazy to change the BAM contract thing. I think there is. I think, number one, there's COVID. There's not going to be NBA fans at games this next season. That is already affecting players' salary, like I told you last week, through that little stipulation in the NBA collective bargaining agreement where they have to put 40% of their income in an account and essentially not touch it depending on revenue that could be just this year though the year after the year we're talking about they could just wholly drop the the cap based on league revenue for the past two seasons from those fans not being at games that drop in available money is a consideration for bam when thinking about do i want my money now he could get hurt the relationship could sour the cap could drop those are all things that, well, number one, the cap dropping is very likely. The other two things are certainly possible. So that think, is the risk. So you think if the cap is likely to drop, the Heat should hamstring themselves now before the free agency class that has the best possibility to improve their team into a championship contender? I'm saying that's all speculation and chance. You have these players in-house right now. And it's speculation and chance that these players can get to the finals again. It took extraordinary circumstances. I think this team can get to the finals again in the East. I didn't say they can't, but I'm saying it's still speculation. It took extraordinary circumstances. COVID, season pausure, bubble, Giannis getting hurt. Like, a lot of... Things are still up to chance. Still up to chance, but if we're playing the numbers game, I think there's a higher chance that you can keep this team together and get back to the finals than possibly getting a big free agent and everything going perfectly with re-signing other players and getting back and reworking team chemistry, etc. As we just talked about, the Clipper situation, 
They thought they were a ready-made championship team by throwing these free agents together, and they weren't. We've seen a lot of teams over the years try to add a big player in the offseason and that think that's going to automatically elevate them to championship levels. Why should the Heat mess with what they already have, which has been proven? Yes, I do hear myself literally in my headphones. understand the example for what you just said is the Miami Heat last year. Jay Crowder knew. Hero knew. Duncan Robertson knew. I said Jimmy star, Butler, not just new. Jimmy Butler one star. knew they'd be adding one star. There's no guarantee that works. I'm saying the fly route is stay together. You can say they should wait and sign him. We'll see. They still keep him if they don't extend him this Possibly. year. Possibly. No, like literally. Possibly. He is still there for the next year. Most likely, sure, but and it's a possibility. And then he's a restricted free agent. All right, we're going to get into another iteration of our COVID and concussion segment. If you listen to episode eight, you know, one of the big things we highlighted was the fact that the Tennessee Titans got and the NFL was moving towards their nest investigation targeted at the Las Vegas Raiders. And we talked about how there were multiple positive cases there, how many of their players were involved in a massless gala, how right tackle Trent Brown tested positive and was not wearing his contact tracing device. And the fact that Gruden could literally never wear a mask to save his life after he already had COVID once. And the NFL's investigation, they came down pretty hard on the Raiders. They fined the team $500,000. They stripped the team of a six-round draft pick in 2021. They fined John Gruden specifically $150,000. And one an NFL source said these were brazen and repeated violations of the COVID-19 protocols. They fined the tight end on that team, Darren Waller, $30,000. It was his gala for youth that deal with drug abuse. You know, Great, great cause. Not a reason to not wear your mask. They also find Derek Carr, 15K. And they find another nine teammates. So, fines all over the place. Coming down hard, they're finding individual players, which is something that we wanted to see to hold those players accountable. You know, they're still finding coaches, but they finally took a draft pick. That was what was big for me. What do you think about this? Oh, I told you weeks ago they're going to have to start taking draft picks for these NFL coaches and teams to take these protocols seriously because the money for most of them means nothing. Just nothing. And the, well, I think the NFL did something else that's very curious. They are punishing teams, I think, pretty severely now for not following COVID protocols. I think there are still more things they could do escalate to higher and higher draft picks being taken, limiting number of 
uh, draft visits and calls, et cetera, things that will actually hurt the team in the future on the field is the only way you're going to make these teams care. Now, in another kind of sense, we're not going to talk about this in depth this week, but the NFL has approved two measures, one for the playoffs due to all the COVID stuff. And number two, they're going to start awarding two third round draft picks for teams that have a person of color who's elevated to either a GM or a coach if it's on their team or another team. So Internal hire, right? No. Like, for example, let's say the Cowboys have Will McClay right now, who's like an assistant vice president, de facto GM for the most part, does all the scouting, etc. If another team were to sign Will McClay as their general manager, the Cowboys would get two third round draft picks, one next year and one the year after that. Okay. So the NFL is taking a harder stance on so many issues right now. I don't think they would have a, 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 a second thought to punish teams for breaking COVID protocol more severely because of the money that it's going to cost the league. And I honestly think the Raiders might get hit again. The Raiders owner, Mark Davis, came out and he called the fines draconian. That's because he broke. Look, the Raiders had already been fined $250,000. Gruden had already been fined $100,000. And the team was also fined another $50,000 for letting non-credentialed employees access the stadium locker rooms. So how did you get three whole ass strikeouts before losing a six round pick and call the fines draconian? There are 30 other NFL teams, I'm excluding the Titans, that have found a way to not Fuck up this terribly. Even people we expected to fuck up haven't fucked up. Such as? Oh, I thought Gronk would fuck up. That's true. I, I, thought, I actually had no doubts about Gronk. I thought maybe Zeke would fuck up again. <laughs> like, I'm just being honest. Yeah, okay. Him and Dak had a little problem working out during the, the spring together without mask and stuff. And they had the party. They had the party. I... There are lots of young players who are rich, famous, talented, and good-looking who I thought would fuck up. None of them are named Darren Waller or John Gruden. And I actually want to give the Cowboys players credit because their fuck-ups were before the season. Before the protocols were even rolled out fully. Exactly. It's like you were doing things that were not socially great, but you were not doing something that could hurt your team infect another team, and like derail the whole fucking NFL season. Right. Now, the question is, now that the protocols are in place and the NFL is punishing people, now, you know my, my stance on this. I don't think the protocols are 100% working, but what do you think? So, it's interesting because the protocols aren't great. And the second story I want to talk about was actually this week on the Pat McAfee show Aaron Rodgers was a guest. He does pretty frequent spots on there. It's great. I highly recommend you all check it out. But he went in on the protocols. And at first I was kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? But he has a pretty good point. And here are some quotes that really stuck out to me. He says, obviously, the proponents of all that say it's necessary to get us to the finish line 
and to the season. I think there's a lot of questions about, are we doing this based on science and is it all necessary? I'm wondering what it's based on. I just think there's some double standards. You can dap up a guy after the game, but you can't eat at the same lunch table as a teammate. You can go down to practice and hit each other and be in close contact, but you have to have plexiglass in between you and the guy next to you in the locker room, which is fair. In some instances, I can see why. And I and listen, we all have jobs. We all have to follow different protocols. I disagree with some of the protocols that I have to follow at work. But on some of this, I think Rodgers is a little wrong. Some of the, his little right. And it's a fair criticism of the NFL's COVID protocols. What frames this for me is that two players this past week played a game after they had a positive test on that day. Because the way the tests currently work, according to Tom Pelissero, you test on Sunday morning now. Before, the NFL didn't test on Sunday at all, on game day. Now you test on Sunday morning, and then you don't get the actual results from that test until a Sunday night or Monday morning. So for the Ravens, Baltimore Ravens, cornerback Marlon Humphreys played an entire game, tested positive from the test of that morning. Same thing, and this might have framed a lot of Rodgers' comments, the running back, Drafted this year for the Packers, A.J. Dillon also played the entire game and tested positive that morning. So it's clear the the protocols are a little behind. So let me comment on a couple of those things. I said like a month ago now, the testing is the weak link in the NFL's protocols. Not for this particular reason, but for other reasons. But on this even, they're the NFL. They are a multi-billion dollar business. There's no reason they should not have those results back before those players are in the locker room or on the field for those games. Listen, I'm fine if they test them Saturday before they go to bed just so they can have those results Sunday morning. They should have a lab in each city that they can run these tests through. I, I can go down, down the street from me get in the line in my car and get a rapid test and have the result in three hours. Why can't the NFL, who is a multi-billion dollar business, do something similar on game days? So I think rapid testing they do during the week, but but higher chance of the false positives. Mm -hmm. And it's clear they want to keep as many players in the game as possible. Mm -hmm. And that might end up continuing to proliferate what we see now last week was actually one of the worst weeks for COVID in the NFL the NFL reported a massive jump a total of 56 employees 15 players 41 staff members had positive cases the in the first week of November right and now coming into this week the close contact rules starting to shake some things up We know because of a positive case on the Steelers, another player who played a game but was positive and then flew back with everybody in Vance McDonald, now Ben Roethlisberger, and three other Steelers all on the close contact list cannot practice this week 
We know Baker Mayfield is on the close contact list, can't practice this week. It's clear things are snowballing out of control, mm-hmm. not getting better. We we said that that would happen. Now, like I talked about, I think the players and the coaches and the teams need to follow the protocols all the time inside or outside of the facility. For some of Aaron Rodgers' critiques, I don't think you should be able to dap up a player after the game during this pandemic. I do think anytime that you're not on the field, you need to be wearing a mask. Now, I do think some of the tackling at practice stuff, yes, there's a chance you could get it, but most a lot of these teams practice either outdoors or they're practicing in very large aerated areas, which severely reduces the risk that you get COVID from someone tackling you or breathing on you outside. But when you're in meetings, you should have masks on. You should have plexiglass. You should be six feet apart, etc. There are things they are doing that make sense that are based on science that are working. They're just not doing them in all the right areas at the right times to have the maximal prevention for players getting this virus. Okay, so let's switch over to college football. Nigadamas predicted that college football will not make it to the playoffs. Oh, no. And honestly, last week was pretty tough for them. Ten games got canceled or postponed last week. Wisconsin versus Purdue, Arizona, Utah, Louisville, Virginia, Tulsa Navy. A lot of them, right? Which is a lot of games. And some major teams in there. Yeah. And more importantly, then that week. Notre Dame beats Clemson. Without Trevor Lawrence. Exactly. Why do they not have Trevor Lawrence? COVID. Exactly. That Rona. Mm-hmm. Double OT win. And, of course, because college students are fucking college students, they stormed the field, basically creating a potential super spreader event of I don't COVID-19. know if I would even say super spreader. This is a mega super spreader event. Because there were like... First off, why were that that many fans in the stadium? Pack the swamp, baby. You heard Florida. Empty the swamp. <laughs> he said pack the swamp. I thought right? it was empty the swamp. No, no. Florida coach. No, no, no. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm making a joke, obviously. I hope you got it. Yes, Trump. Listen, college football won't make it. As more power conference teams, teams that are ranked in the top 10, teams that are going to be ranked in the playoff, start losing games, losing players, having games postponed, college football will have to do something drastic in order to get to a playoff. That may mean a bubble. They are going to play in a bubble. Oh, no. That's why I don't think they'll make it to the playoff. Yeah, this is already a disaster. This upcoming week, Auburn, Mississippi State has had to postpone their game. LSU-Bama was postponed. And they can't find a date to make it work yet because the date they want it to work, LSU is already supposed to play Florida. Listen. Didn't plan it into the schedule. College and the NFL are going to have this problem. The Steelers, for example, if it comes out there, more players positive have already had an early bye week as a result of all the COVID madness. So then we get into the NFL adding a second bye week or extending the season. We're going to wait and see if I'm right on that. I think I will be, though. It's, it's crazy. 
the college super spreader event is only going to get worse as cases are getting worse in the country. And all of these students are possibly about to start flooding home for Thanksgiving. Yeah, seeing families, hanging out with old friends, etc. And then coming back to campus. We'll see about the second week in December. This could be real bad, both for sports and this country. We are eight days away from the NBA draft. Five, when you all will be hearing this. It's a little exciting. Draft on the 18th. Free agency starts two days later on the 20th. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I want to talk about a lottery picks. Who do you, Nigadamas, predictor and seer of truths, how do you have the top of this draft shaking out? I had a vision last night. (laughs) These things come to me sometime. And in that vision, I was sitting in a room having a nice drink with LeVar Ball. And he guaranteed me his son, LaMelo, would be the number one overall draft pick next week in the draft. And I'm here for it. Okay. I think this time he's right. Okay. Look, I like Melo at one. I think he's going to be possibly a transcendent talent, a big guard who has the tangibles to defend, a shot that falls, an amazing court vision. I've also been saying this for quite some time, so I want to go on the record on the podcast because apparently it only counts if it's on the podcast. D'Angelo Russell should be a two guard, not a one guard. Hmm. He should play off the ball more. His shot is so wet. And I thought some of the the best possessions when he was on the Brooklyn Nets in that breakout year, he played a lot off the ball when he wasn't on fire. And I think that both limited his bad shot selection, but also made him a nightmare for defenders to deal with. Okay. I'm ready to hear it. However... Mm-hmm. I think the Timberwolves will keep D'Lo at the one and they'll go for Anthony Edwards. What? I think they'll go for Anthony Edwards at the two because they want to keep D'Lo at the one. They want a combo guard. Anthony Edwards is far and away the most consistent scorer in the draft. And he's a big body dude. He's getting a lot of Dwayne Wade comparisons. And if they think that they just need to add a piece, right? A scorer, someone that can be dynamic, means that a lot of pressure is off of cat down low. It spaces the floor more effectively. I honestly think they'll go for Anthony Edwards. I've heard some talks about them trading the pick, though. So... I've heard talks about them trading it, but I think there's a lot more smoke for either the Warriors trading their number two pick or the Hornets trading their number three pick. But I do have some rumors for you about your selection for number one, Anthony Edwards. And that is that multiple front offices reported to, you know, their anonymous sources that Edwards looked 
they were discouraged about Eretz because he looked sluggish and inconsistent with his jump shot during his October 29th pro day. Now, of course, it's draft season, so that could all be speculation from other teams who want him to fall. But if I continue to hear more about this in the next several days, I got to say, if there is some smoke, there's got to be some fire. There was some smoke about Mello and how he was interviewing poorly. And Brian Windhorst shut that down on ESPN this week. He was pretty explicit telling people to be careful with that rumor because Mello hadn't even done a bunch of interviews no, yet. No, he's done no workouts and almost no interviews. Exactly. So it's, it's a lot of rumors, a lot of smoke. I do agree that because Golden State looks heavy to move their pick, that Minnesota might have a hard time getting off theirs for what they want because there's no runaway, transcendent, Zion-level talent Mm-mm. in this draft. The top three are pretty equal. Yeah, there's no one that makes you feel like I have to have the number one pick. Now, there are certainly teams who are trying to make others feel that way. I think coming out of the top three, you know, a couple weeks back, the Warriors worked out, what's his name, Dingy, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, the guy that people think is going to go to the Bulls, Dingy, I'm not even going to try that, but yeah, that guy. Avdija. There you go. Denji Adivja. Right. Adivja. So the Warriors were like, oh, we love him. He was great in his workout. He's going to be a transcendent player, etc." And of course, I think this time of year when you're hearing those kind of comments or really just anytime before you're at a major sports league draft, some of that's going to be just, it's just smoke. There's no fire. So he could turn out to be good. You know, he's a player with extensive experience, I believe, playing in Europe. But, Israel. But... The other thing is, we laughed at this at the time, but LaMelo playing in Australia could actually be the thing that has made him the favorite for the number one overall draft pick. Oh, yeah. He went nuts when he was healthy in Australia. Not to mention. And RJ Hampton. People are in love with those kind of players now after what Luka's done. They're like, oh, he's ready made. He came into the league. He was playing against grown men. He not Luka. Nah, 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 nah. nah. I'm not saying that. That's blasphemy. But but that has NBA front offices much more open to drafting foreign players who are don't have the traditional American high school five star prospect, you know, blue chip college kind of experience because they know what they can be. Even if they're not as good as Luka, if they're half as good, that's still pretty good and better than most okay. people you're going to find in the draft. What do you have going on at number two? So at number two, I think the Warriors will trade this pick. I think this is the most likely of the three top picks to be traded. But if they keep it and he's available, I think the Warriors draft Edwards. Wow. Instead of Wiseman. Yes. That's nuts. I agree the Warriors are going to try to move up their pick. I heard some rumors about using the pick to grab LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't oh, like no, it. No, I don't like that at all. Right? We've heard all the like, you love these Giannis Antetokounmpo I do love rumors, those. Right? I'm waiting the, to have a dream about that. Yeah. That the I'm a Noah's Joel Embiid rumors. I think they go for Wiseman. The biggest deficiency on this team is a big... They don't need another guard. 
I like Edwards is a bench player for them. I don't think that's what they need. They need a big that can come in, be a starter, play heavy minutes or three. That is something this team has consistently lacked is a strong, small forward, which might be why you're hearing all those Denny rumors. True, true. Now, there are some other possible trades that happen, possibly even up to number one. So I'm hearing some speculation that the Bulls might try to package their number four pick to move up in the draft from one of these top three players. What's your thoughts on that? Okay, I have the bull, the Bulls at four. I think <laughs> I heard about this, and I think they should stand back and stand by. You know, <laughs> <laughs> your references. <laughs> They're fired after this election. Stand back and stand by. Right? Okay. I think the Bulls just stand back and stand by. And that's partially because I think we're trying to move up to get Melo. And I think we should let Melo possibly fall to us. I, I especially don't think the Warriors will take him. I do not think that the Wolves will take him, which might actually make Melo slip. I don't think he goes past three then because everything I'm hearing says Charlotte wants no one outside of those top three. And I think they're lying. I think they're lying to trade the pick. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. People are thinking Charlotte's going to go for Melo or Edwards, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me because they've signed Terry Rozier to good money, right? At the one, Devontae Graham broke out last year at the guard position He should have been most improved player, just like if we look from one season stats to the next season stats, but like he plays in Charlotte, so who's going to fucking give him the award he deserves? Malik Monk is already their backup on that end. He's a good serviceable backup. What Charlotte needs to do to become a real serviceable team is to keep rebuilding at all the spots they are fucking atrocious at. With terrible contracts, like the Nick Batum contract, (laughs) right? At center and forward, they are atrocious, which is why I think they either snipe Denny Avedija from the Bulls, right? Which is where a lot of Bulls, if they pick it forward, they'll get. He's a small forward. He's super versatile. He can also play the four. He fits that model a lot better. Or a player that I think whose stock is going to raise in the next eight days or so, Onyeka Onkangu. Power forward, huge dude. I hear some people thinking he might actually be the best big in the draft, not Wiseman. So I think we're going to see a little bit of unexpected movement from Charlotte. I think that's certainly possible. I have rumors that other teams are trying to move up into the top three. I have rumors that the Pistons will try to package their number seven pick to move up in the draft. And rumors that the Thunder may try to package their 25th pick this year and future first round picks to move up. I do think if the if Charlotte gets off the third pick, ball will not fall to four. Ball will not fall. The ball That's will what not you're fall. With? Yeah, you hear me. Well, so- I think I think you're right. I think there's a clear delineation between the top tier players of Edwards, 
Ball, and Wiseman. And the second tier is Denny Avedija, Obi Topin, um, Isaac Okoro, Tyrese Halliburton, Onekia Ogungu. Onyeka Onyongu. My bad. Onyeka Onkongu. And Patrick Williams are the four through nine kind of draft picks here. Yeah, honestly, I like ball for us, even though I think we need to give Kobe White more of a chance. But I think what we could really use is a great ball distributor in Chicago. I think you're right. Should they trade for Chris Paul? No. (laughs) Now, one last thing I'm hearing is that the Mavs are very eager to move their pick, which is in the bottom half of the first round. But the Mavericks want immediate help for Luka and Kristaps Porzingis. And they don't care about a young player who's coming in from the draft. Their idea, I guess, is that they can't get anyone good enough in the draft to make an immediate impact. So they want to package that pick for an established veteran and give Luka some help. I do think that's definitely the fly route for the Mavericks in this draft. But there are some pretty decent shooters that I think they can still kind of choose and go for and not sell out immediately. You're right. Now, one that I haven't heard any rumors about, but that could happen, is our friend who is relocated from Houston to Philadelphia. We know he loves a good trade. He's got some contracts to move. There are some high draft picks out there. Maybe Daryl Morey and the 76ers put a package together that surprises us all. For which pick? I don't know. I'm just saying, put it on your radar. Daryl Morey may make a big move in the next seven days. His first big move as a 76ers president. Well, I do think he's going to make a move. He has to make a move. They chose him because they need to restructure that roster. Right? They need shooters. They need to find a team that makes Embiid and Simmons work together. And if not, then they might have to move somebody. They need to try to get off of this Al Horford contract. So something's going to happen there. I'm not sure what just yet. I think you're right. All of you should totally look forward to the draft. We will be tweeting during that time to get your live feedback and to also see if you want to tell us how wrong we were about all these trades and draft picks. I've been loving, loving the wide receiver beef as of late. You know, post-game conference questions, Devontae Adams, do you think you're the best wide receiver in the league? Of course I do. You know, DeAndre Hopkins hitting him with the shade. He's like, I hear that. And, you know, all I can do is just laugh. That shit was petty. DeMarcus, we're going to settle it right here, right now. On the Fly Route Podcast, who are your top five wide receivers in the NFL? So I'm going to start with number five. It's a little low because he real fast. They call him the cheetah. It's Tyreek Hill. Tyreek is an electrifying receiver who even this season with the myriad of weapons that the Chiefs have does not have to touch the ball much to put up spectacular numbers. 
So far, he's only caught 35 balls, but he's already about 540 yards and seven touchdowns. So on one of every like five catches, this man is scoring a touchdown. He has nine touchdowns now. Of oh, last week. my bad. I didn't yeah. even factor those in. Yeah, yeah. He's he even a higher the clip. league in touchdowns. Even at a higher clip, every like one in four times this man touches the ball, he's scoring. Breakaway speed. Cheetah. So that's number five. I don't think I'll have a lot of objection there. The number four through one of this will be pretty good. Number four, I have a newcomer to the list who's been showing out. He's been the sous chef for Russell Wilson up in Seattle, DK Metcalf who has been an integral part of Russ cooking for the most part. He didn't really cook last week. Gordon Ramsay came in and told him he had some shit. But in the weeks before that, when he's in the MVP race, a big part of that is DK Metcalf making him look great. So far, Metcalf has over 700 yards and like eight touchdowns this season, which is fantastic for a player who we weren't super sure on coming out of the draft, but has really, really blossomed and grown into a fantastic wide receiver, should make the Pro Bowl. I don't think it'll actually happen, but on paper, he'll make it. And has a chance to be on an all-pro list. We'll see what happens, but definitely in the top five for me now. Now, number three, one through three is more, we're mostly going to agree on who is in the top three. We're just going to have a different order for these people. And again, to everybody listening, this is what they've done this season. Not last year, not their career, this season. So at number three, I have our boy, Julio Jones. Still a bad man. Falcons are having a bad season, but he's still putting up great numbers. Julio has like 40-something receptions, over 600 yards. Only a couple of touchdowns, but for the most of his career, he's not been a really high touchdown guy. So that's not surprising whatsoever. I have met number three. I think he's on a bad team. I think he is that team's clear cut weapon. And most teams, when they're playing defense, designing their game plans, are going to design them to stop Julio. No one wants Julio to look like Calvin Johnson did when he played the Cowboys, when he had like 300 yards receiving. No one wants that to happen on their watch. Now, number two and number one are the two guys who have been keeping that same energy, throwing shape, being petty, etc. Number two, I think, is DeAndre Hopkins. He, first off, should never have been traded. But, you know, I mean, that he, nigga lost his job. So, <laughs> yeah, obviously, uh, O'Brien was wrong about that because D hop has looked fantastic in Arizona. He's got Cliff Kingsbury drawing them up plays. He's got a young Kyler Murray who can run and scramble just as good as Watson can and can get him the ball no matter where he is on the field. Hopkins so far has put up like close to 800 yards like 60 catches, four or five touchdowns. He's had a phenomenal start to his season so far, and he is showing a great chemistry between him and Kyler Murray. I have met number two. And number one is our man who kept that same energy when asked who is the best. Devontae Adams said, I am the best. And I think he has a strong argument to be the best receiver in the league. 
He's missed games this season. He has not been 100% healthy, and he's putting up fantastic numbers. He embarrasses cornerbacks and safeties on a regular basis and is right behind the Cheetah in touchdowns. Yes, indeed. Look, we have a lot of differences on this list. I'm going to start at the top because that's where our dissonance begins. Number one, I have DeAndre Hopkins. You know what they say. In the NFL, the best ability is availability. They do say that. DeAndre Hopkins is a monster. He is a tank. 15 yards, third in catches, over 12 yards a catch. This man is a monster. You know, you that nigga. When your quarterback sees you in single coverage and gets a smile on his face before he throws you the ball. That's what's going on right now. You don't think Aaron Rodgers looks at Devontae Adams like that either? I don't think he looks the same way. We literally see Kyler Murray pause, smile, wait, and then let it rip. Just knowing he's going to come down with that ball. Look, Devontae Adams is my two. You are correct. Those top two, they're jockeying for position. And honestly, if Devontae Adams had played every game this season, he might have been my one. He is eighth in receiving yards, tied for second for touchdown catches, and he is tied with DK Metcalf. So it's a it's huge. When he's on that team, they become a different monster. But what I've also been able to see is when he's not on that team, they're still quite good. Which brings me to my number three player. And this is where I'm going to get a lot of flack from. Julio Jones is not in my top three wide receivers for the year. Number three for me is Stephon Diggs. He has elevated Josh Allen's quarterback play to another level. He is the primary target in that offense. He leads the league in receiving yards. He leads the league in catches. He's showing up all over the field. He's playing in the slot. He's playing out wide. This man is unstoppable. Look, he leads the league in catches and is averaging 13 yards a catch. These aren't dinking dunks. This man has went otherworldly after going to Buffalo first year in this offense. Y'all might be sleeping, but I am not. Julio Jones is my fourth best receiver. And honestly, DeMarcus, I didn't even know you were going to be like this year only. I was counting it all. And Julio was still my number four. Oh, because this year. Julio probably shouldn't even crack my top five. And I'm going to say it. He's overrated right now. Barely top 20 in catches. Out of the top 10 in yards. As you said, only three touchdowns this year. And that's as many as OBJ. And he hasn't played in how many weeks? That's as many as Marquez Valdez Scantling. And he's not even the best receiver on his team right now. That's Calvin Ridley. Twice the number of touchdowns, more catches, more receiving yards. Calvin Ridley is 
actually the primary receiver in this Falcons offense. When we talk about the most underrated receiver in the league, that's mine. My fifth pick, DK Metcalf. And honestly, it was close between him and Tyreek Hill for me. If I had known the premise was this year only, I probably would have dropped Julio to six and had Metcalf at four and Tyreek Hill at five. Look, they have the same function for me. Huge play receiver. Things get out of control. It's a busted play. You should be afraid. The connection between the quarterback and the wide receiver here is amazing. But DK Metcalf is bigger. Tyreek Hill is burning people. But if it's a 50-50 ball, who's getting that shit over Metcalf? Real quick, I'm not even going to talk about Metcalf's receiving. I want to talk about his ability to play defense. <laughs> Listen, the play that most people probably have seen of DK, if they've seen nothing else, is him chasing down Buda Baker. 100%. And, oh my God, when you watch the tape, you're like, how big is that guy? He's moving real fast. Is he going to catch him? Oh, oh no, he got him. Yep. And it's crazy. Like, he should not be that big. And that fast at the same time. Now, if you're talking about a player who reminds you of somebody great, who's big, fast, strong, DK looks a lot more like Megatron than people. I said that last week and you said he is not going to get there. I don't think he will be as sharp and polished in some of the areas, but I think he's going to be a phenomenal receiver. I think he's going to be fantastic, pro bowl, possibly all pro receiver perennially. I'm just not sure he's in the Megatron range. He could be, I could be wrong and I would be happily wrong. There's some things I'm happy to be wrong about. Well, I think he's taking a great leap for even year two. That's what I'm saying. This is year two. He has a lot of time and a much better quarterback than Megatron did. Now, one thing I'm going to disagree with you on, on Julio, before we move on to our underrated receivers is that I think Ridley is getting those targets for the reason that I said that, Defensive coordinators are afraid of what Julio can do to them if he is loose. So they're shading all their coverage toward him, et cetera. And that is making Ridley be the open guy on many of those plays. Name one receiver in either of our top five so that does not apply to. Oh, I also said the Falcons <laughs> are bad. Okay. The Falcons out of all those teams are probably, or is definitely the worst team out of the teams that have a top five receiver. And I think that's part of it. They are not good right now, including Matt Ryan, who is his quarterback. Sure, they're not good, but you have to take into account the, the fact that they're still not good, but Calvin Ridley is going insane right next to Julio Jones, right? He's, he is by far and away my most underrated receiver for the season. He's just in Julio's shadow right now. He's outplayed Julio all year long, and the emergence of this dude was why I was very comfortable with the ATL should be comfortable moving off of Julio Jones and getting a king's ransom of picks. He has twice the number of touchdowns. He has top 10 yardage in the league on the same amount of receptions as Julio. So he's catching the ball just as much. Okay. I'll give you that. The numbers, I'm just... I'm watching the Maybe numbers. this is a T.O. Jerry Rice kind of thing. We'll see. But 
I mean, I'm always happy for people to 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 eat. If they could both eat, I'm good. Okay. Who's your most underrated wide receiver in the league? This is where we're going to disagree a lot. Okay. So my receiver is underrated, not because he's not playing great, but because of where he plays, people are not talking about him the way they should be. That's Stephon Diggs. And I know that sounds crazy to some people to say he's underrated. He's a household name. He's got the miracle in Minnesota, et cetera. But now he plays in upstate New York with a quarterback who has a huge arm, but is not always accurate, but can get it to him when necessary. And they're on a good team, but I'm not hearing people talk about Stefan Diggs. I'm not seeing Stefan Diggs highlights on Twitter or Facebook or SportsCenter. As you pointed out, he is playing phenomenally right now, but I don't think he's getting even as much attention as he was when he played for Minnesota and had lower numbers. I definitely agree. People want to talk about Josh Allen a lot right now. Right. He's the talking point for that team. And look, he's playing amazing football. What he did this past week against the Seahawks, he deserves all the credit that he's getting. And I think that usually by proxy, Stephon Diggs is getting some of that credit, but he definitely deserves more. Absolutely. He definitely deserves more. Welcome to the final segment of our show, the heart of our show, Ballers Bouquets. Too often in the media, people only want to focus about the negative and salacious things that athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit's due. Here, we like to make a change. So I love handing out these bouquets, these virtual bouquets every week, partly because I get to pick an issue that matters to me and use the platform that I have to shine a light on that. And this week I'm going to, you know, keep beating this dead horse and talk about the, the good old kids who are our future and their education. And this week's ballers bouquet goes to Sean Williams, who plays safety for the Cincinnati Bengals and is also the recipient of the NFL PA Community MVP Award. Now, Williams has received this award for both his fundraising and his generosity. So he was able to raise over $20,000 and donated another $80,000 totaling over $100,000 to purchase technology needs, including Google Chromebooks for early county high school and their students. Now, of course, Williams received this award from the NFL PA and then said, quote, it's important that every child has fair access to information and technology. So I am thankful for all of those that helped with this event in any way. Now, listen, if you're a frequent listener of our show, you know, a lot of weeks we focus on issues of social justice. And to me, one of the core issues that's not talked about enough when it comes to social justice is our education system. We talk about this all the time and we'll continue to talk about this in order for us to get to where we want to be as a country. Our young people have to be taught the right things, the right way, 
by the right people and preferably with the right tools. So continue going out and supporting these people who offer programs, who want to donate, who need supplies, etc., because that is what is important in your community and our country. Now, this is not the first, second, or third time that the NFL Players Association has given this community MVP award to a player who values education. This will not be the first, second, third, or last time that the Fly Route podcast does either. In addition to receiving the award, the NFLPA has also donated $10,000 to a foundation of Sean Williams' choosing. Again, weekly reminder, the children are our future. We have to show them what's right. And that's why we need to arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. Thank you, everybody who listened to episode 10 of the Fly Route podcast. We really appreciate each and every single one of you taking the time out of your day, listen to us talk shit. DeMarcus get me all frustrated and shit. I got me yelling this episode. We want to know, what do you think? Do you think the fly route for the Miami Heat is to sign Bam this upcoming season? Or do you think they should wait and go big game hunting in 2021? Listen. Nigadamas predicted that you would yell. I just forgot to record it on the podcast, but I'll make predictions from my dreams next week. <laughs> Tune in. Every Friday. <laughs>